0: The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, everybody, and uh, thank you for joining me. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and you're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. And um, my job is, is to reveal how the world really works. And before we dive into the topic of today's show, which is poverty, I want to move to the other end of the economic spectrum. You've worked hard. You've built up just a little wealth. You've created for yourself a life. And every now and then, you want to take the opportunity of experiencing things that your hard work has made possible for you to experience. And one of the things that I hope you will consider experiencing is joining Glenn Beck and me along with the great American historian David Barton and personality Bill O'Reilly as we uh, cruise the Mediterranean exploring the origins of civilization, Greece, Greece, Croatia, but uh, also a few days in the land of Israel. The The website to explore this is comesailaway.com. Go to comesailaway.com and find out more about a cruise where I would have the opportunity, which I would cherish, of having days and evenings to interact with you, our listeners, and I really would enjoy that very, very much indeed. And I think that's part of what appealed to me when Glenn suggested we did a cruise together and invited all our friends to come along and spend a few days thinking about the origins of civilization and perhaps even discussing where it is all headed. So uh, check out the cruise website, comesailaway.com. And uh, look into this idea of spending a little of the money you have so carefully collected, saved, invested uh, on doing something that I think would be a lot of fun for all of us. And um, we can now, uh, with a rather awkward segue, move into the question of, well, are there really any poor people in America? And I know it's offensive sounding, But I make no apology for that at all, because it isn't offensive at all. It is a truthful analysis of what the situation really is. So let's move right ahead. Welcome, everybody, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, do my utmost in order to make your investment of your time, your most precious commodity, worthwhile. We try and give you a return on your investment that cannot be exceeded, let alone not even equaled anywhere else at all. Thanks so much for being part of the show, and uh, let's uh, take a look now. This is episode number 31, and uh, I was struggling with what to name this episode. I thought at first of calling it, Even Poor People Deserve Compassion. And then I thought, maybe we'll call it, Especially Poor People Deserve Compassion. And I struggled with that a little while. And I I thought maybe uh, we should call it, We Love Poor People. A variation on the theme all good people love all poor people. As you can see, the, the ideas were flowing fast and furious. Um, how about this one? And uh, I wrote this one out a few times to see if I liked the look of it. Uh, poor people means virtuous people. Uh, anyway, I, I struggled, and it was truly difficult to come up with something. And so I finally... After praying for guidance, I finally came up with the title that, uh, in fact, we're going to use. And that is simply, there are no poor people in America. Now, let me immediately apologize to all of you people who are poor. All you listeners who are poor, I want to apologize to you for that title. It's an insensitive title. Um, It is a thoughtless title. It's a title lacking in compassion. It's a politically incorrect title. And in fact, all it has to recommend it is that it's true. You see, I do apologize to you. If you're poor, this title is needlessly provocative. There are no poor people in America. So what are you? Right? Not American or not poor? Well, no, I'm apologizing to you because I feel sorry for you. Not because you're poor, but because you have been indoctrinated to believe that you are poor. Let me explain. Okay. There are no poor people in America. I believe that to be absolutely true, and uh, we're going to explore it on several different levels. The the first is going to be that there is no real meaning to the word poor. The word itself is meaningless, and so if you happen to have been indoctrinated into believing that you are poor, then... uh, the people who did that and persuaded you uh, were not only wrong, they were also foolish and, um, and perhaps even a little bit bad. All right, let's, let's explain all of this. First of all, uh, I am not saying that there's nobody who has trouble paying their bills. I'm not saying that there's nobody who doesn't lie awake at night stressing out About being short of money. Of course, I accept that. Of course, I accept that uh, many of you listening are in that situation. I accept that. Obviously, uh, I also accept that uh, that there are circumstances that can make that uh, better or worse, pretty much for most people. But here is one of the hardest things to accept. There are people who, uh, you know, have bad luck with health. I don't know how else to put it. You know, uh, yes, uh, the good Lord is in charge, but yes, there are people who, you know, have genetic issues who, through no fault of their own, uh, got a particular disease and are suffering through that. And and for that reason, for that reason, um, the the. Certainly, the Bible, my source of ancient Jewish wisdom, uh, requires enormous compassion and care and concern—not just thoughts and emotions and feelings and sentiments, but actions towards those who are ill. Uh, we we do everything we can to help cure them. Right? That doesn't necessarily mean Obamacare, by the way. Just just so you know. Uh, or uh, the affordable care act as uh, they prefer it being called but uh, that there is a concern for people who are ill absolutely because it is possible for somebody to suffer the scourge of disease through literally no fault of their own it's it's definitely possible uh, people can have family troubles right you know what you know what a really tough family problem is uh, when your children are suffering that's tough And you can do everything right as a parent. And your children were created as independent human beings by God. And they are capable of going off on their own track. And sometimes those tracks are bad. They're sometimes so bad that the parent even can tell in advance what's going on. And that they're heading off down this bad road. This is suffering for a parent. And um, it's through no fault of your own. And so I feel enormous compassion. I've my, my whole life, I've done everything to help parents get their child-rearing as effectively as, as effectively as possible to minimize, you can never eliminate, to minimize the chances of uh, this kind of, of sad family stress. But these things happen through no fault of your own. However, my dear friends, and believe me, this is as painful for me as it is for you and <laughs> I, I know you don't believe that because you still remember your father before he wallops you, saying, "This is going to hurt me as much as it hurts you." <laughs> but uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying that. I'm saying that uh, I have suffered the the pain that I'm inflicting on you now as well, and and that is, my friends, money is different from health, and it's different from family issues. If you have money problems today. It's because of bad decisions you made yesterday. Uh, there is no uh, there is no soft, gentle way of saying that. I, I just have to tell it to you straight. And it's as true for me as it is for you and for everybody else. If you've got financial stress today, it's because you made bad decisions yesterday. And I don't think there are any exceptions. I really don't. I don't think there are any exceptions at all. Um Therefore, that that being the case, that that doesn't mean, by the way, that there are no people with financial stress. I just want to repeat that, um, and uh, and and that's that's just a reality. I accept that there are people with financial stress. However, uh, it is because we made bad decisions yesterday or the day before. Okay. The uh, the next thing that i have to i i should come in with something nice something that massages you with warm butter and makes you smile and happy for a few moments before i just pile on more agony more torment all right well i'll i'll try and be i'll try and be gentle now do my best to do that okay so um what are we what are we saying well the word poor, my friends, has as little meaning as the word rich. You know how politicians are, are, are frequently heard saying, Well, the rich must pay their fair share. And all the foolish, thoughtless people in society who, God help us, may well be voting in uh, the next election – uh, all jump up and down with glee and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that's right. The the rich must pay their fair share. They really have to be forced to pay their fair share. And that way, maybe there'll be some for me." Right? That's that's what people are uh, conditioned to think. It's very seductive. It's a uh, um, it's it's obviously it's immoral. It's uh, it's it's horrible on the part of politicians to do this. Uh, it's cynical. Uh, what's all wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it is neither rich nor fair are defined. And so today, the rich who must pay their fair share aren't you. It's them. Tomorrow, it'll be you. Not necessarily because you have elevated your fiscal status, but uh, simply because the, the word fair has been redefined downwards by politicians. So as long as they say the rich must pay their fair share, well, Guess who's going to define who's rich? This year, it's people who have an income of $250,000 a year. Next year, we'll lower it to people who have an income of $180,000 a year. And the year after that, we are going to have to lower it to people who have an income of $110,000 a year. You know why? Because when you are giving away other people's money, which I concede is loads and loads of fun, uh, you kind of have to keep looking for money. Because when you're giving away other people's money, the line will always be infinitely long. It's a reliable law of economics. And uh, the more people are in the line to receive, well, that means the fewer there are that are out there at work creating. And uh, you're just going to have to soak more and more and more of them in order to keep up with the growing line on the receiving side, the people lining up for – getting hold of some of that money that has to be taken from the rich. So uh, the word rich is not defined. By the way, neither is the word fair, is it? Like when they say the rich must pay their fair share, what is that? 10%? 90%? Somewhere in between? 95 How much? And the answer is you'll never get a politician to answer that because he always wants the freedom to define fair according to what he needs to spend that day of your money. That's right. So there's absolutely no definition of rich. Is there a definition of poor? Well, actually, yes. There there is a definition of poor in in Scripture. And uh, the definition is somebody who in the morning does not yet know whether he'll have food that day or whether he'll have shelter to lay his head for the night. That's poor. And um, you might say, well, by that definition, they are poor. Think of the homeless. Well, uh, the the problem is that um, there really is no reason for anybody to be on the streets anywhere in America. Because the range and availability of shelters... is is almost without limit. City governments are constantly adding shelter, and they will add beds as needed. Now, it's not an accident that uh, the more delightful parts of the country are the ones that have more of a homeless problem, right? And so, uh, yeah, Seattle, uh, Santa Barbara, uh, Los Angeles, Santa Monica, San Diego, yeah, Homeless problems there, sure. Well, homeless are not immune to logic any more than you are. And uh, why? <laughs> where do you want them to go? Baltimore in winter <laughs> or summer, for that matter? You've got to be crazy, and they're not crazy. Not all of them. Some are. But, uh, but no, that's, that's what they do. Makes sense, right? Palm Beach. Any homeless people there, key Biscayne, why not? Well, they'd like to be, but there the city authorities decided that law-abiding taxpayers and merchants have as much right as the homeless do in order to conduct their business and have their customers enter their stores without stepping over pools of urine and piles of human feces one of the great gifts bestowed on a grateful populace by the so-called homeless population. Am I lacking in compassion? Do I sound a little bit lacking in compassion? As usual, I uh, would love for you to head over to my store at youneedarabbi.com. And explore it because, frankly, uh, one of the ways, now I'll, I'll be direct with you on this, one of the ways that uh, you can acknowledge the value of what I provide in the podcast is by acquiring something from the store. That's how I get paid for my time. Uh, there's no obligation. You don't have to or anything, but there, I know that there are people who, who like being able to, to reciprocate. There are people who want to be able to um, say thank you in a tangible way, and at the same time, to acquire more of the kind of thing that I give you, very often in greater depth than I'll do on a podcast, and, uh, and you do that over at the store at my website, youneedarabbi.com. No obligation, obviously. I'm absolutely delighted that you're listening, regardless of, or of whether or not you actually head over to the store. Your rabbi, that's me, Rabbi Daniel lappen here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappen Show, where I remind you that the more that things change, the more we need to depend upon those things that never change. And what never changes, well, apparently that there'll always be poor people, which, uh, apart from anything else, suggests that the war on poverty is unbelievably stupid and short-sighted. But uh, why do I say that the poor will never change, that they'll always be around? And in any event, why do I say that on a program entitled, cruelly entitled, there are no poor people in America? then what am I doing saying the poor will always be among us? Well, I'm quoting from Scripture, actually, chapter 15 of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, in the Lord's language, and uh, one acceptable English translation says, for destitute people will never cease to exist within the land. So they'll always be poor people, right? That's what it looks like. All right, well, we'll come back to that. But uh, for now, you might recall that uh, I was talking about why I sound lacking in compassion as we finished the last segment here on the 31st show in this series. Uh, why am I lacking in compassion? I sounded that way. I spoke about how important it was that cities like uh, Key Biscayne and, uh, and Palm Beach, and for that matter, Miami Beach, apparently do not have homeless people lying on Worth Avenue or Collins Avenue, Uh, why not? After all, they're just as desirable locations as San Diego, Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Santa Barbara, all of these California locations, particularly in winter. Why do the homeless flock to California, not to Southeast Florida? Well, the reason is because the city authorities in Southeast Florida Uh, believe that their merchants and taxpayers deserve just as much compassion as do the homeless. And um, because the homeless tend to make the process of walking through a city street or uh, uh, going into a store not only uh, unpleasant, but very often dangerous. The panhandling becomes aggressive. Uh, the, the, The Disregard for public hygiene um, is embarrassing and awkward and, and just no fun. It's gross and vulgar. And, uh, and so the city founder said, sure, we've got shelters. you got nowhere to go? We'll put you in a shelter. No problem. But you, can't, you may not hang out on the street. And, um, and, by the way, the vagrancy laws in America existed from its earliest days for precisely that purpose uh, because it's all too easy for those who uh, uh, wish to, to take a certain approach in life to make um, life rather unpleasant for everyone else taking a different approach. And so um, why is it that I seem to lack compassion to the poor and the homeless when I speak about the needs of the storekeepers and the taxpayers of Miami Beach, Key Biscayne, and Palm Beach, And uh, the answer is because in the 15th chapter of the book of Leviticus, we have the warning to um, not pervert justice, right? That justice must really take place in a very just way. And what it's about to tell us is that you shouldn't treat poor people how? Badly, right? You'd expect that what scripture is saying is don't be harsh on the poor. But it doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, and and by the way, look, I I fully accept and acknowledge that that many of you are not uh, biblical enthusiasts or Bible believers, uh, as I happen to be, and that's fine. Uh, I I nonetheless talk about this stuff because you also acknowledge, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to me, that uh, the Bible has been the dominant cultural force shaping Western civilization. Now, that's no longer true right now. But uh, it has been, in terms of, of, uh, of what you see in Western civilization today, it is the consequence of the Bible. I speak not only of the churches. I speak not only of the cathedrals. I speak not only of the art you will find on the streets and in the art galleries of, of many, many countries in the Western civilization orbit, but uh, I also speak of the, uh, of what you'll see in the financial districts, uh, the 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 great capital markets, and many other aspects of that which flow directly from the um, the words of the Bible. So uh, regardless of whether you are a Bible believer or not, I'm sure you're comfortable with me quoting from uh, the book that has sold more copies than any other book in the history of the world, Uh, the book that was the very first book to be um, printed when printing became a reality in uh, 1450, and um, finally... Uh, the book that, as I say, has, has really shaped the, uh, the, the, the modern world more than people realize. And so over to chapter 15 in the book of – excuse me, did I say 15? No, chapter 19 in the book of Leviticus. And uh, we're going to read about how poor people must get justice, right? And so it's probably going to say something like, uh, do not withhold justice from the poor or do not uh, deal harshly with the poor because of their poverty, I bet you thought that's what it would say, right? But unless you are a very diligent Bible scholar, much more diligent than me, then uh, you would be surprised to read, you may not commit, you shall not commit any perversion of justice by favoring the poor. And you should not favor the rich also. Isn't that powerful? This is unbelievable. So there's a tendency to favor the poor. You bet there is. It's called human nature. Decent people feel sympathy for those who have less than they. That's a natural thing in us. We now live in a society that has gone too far in that direction, lost all balance. We live in a society now that uh, has become an epidemic of sadism and where an entire industry has been created, the poverty industry, the grievance industry. Industries have been created catering to the poor. As a matter of fact, if uh, the words of the Bible could be disproven from Deuteronomy 15, and in fact, uh, we could find that all the poor people would be vanished, if we could if we could eliminate all the poverty, all the poor people are, are gone there, everybody is now doing fine, do you know what would happen? Um, by my best estimate, nearly a quarter of a million people would now be poverty stricken and homeless you know who they are the vast body of uh, government bureaucrats social workers agencies all of those people who disperse money to the so-called poor they'd be out of work and so now they'd be poor all right bottom line is that um, I try my best failing much of the time if not all most of the time uh, but I do, follow, I do my best to follow the, the guidance of ancient Jewish wisdom and uh, of the Bible. And, uh, and therefore, I try and restore a little bit of balance. The natural tendency everyone has is to feel sorry for the poor and to feel nothing but callous disregard, to feel nothing but truly cruel indifference to the successful, to the affluent, to the hardworking, to the achievers, to the taxpayers. And so I believe that a little balance needs to be restored, don't you? And so that's why when I speak about the tussle between the rights of the homeless to defecate and urinate uh, on the sidewalk and the rights of the merchants who are trying to make a living by catering to the customers on that sidewalk, um, I think we have to come down on the side of the merchants and the customers because there are public toilets, there are city uh, shelters for the homeless, and, indeed, there is a disbursement system of welfare that is so lavish that in many parts of the country it exceeds $60,000 a year in benefits. In other words, somebody who has nothing, to the extent that they are living on the streets, could immediately start getting $50,000 a year and free uh, accommodation in a shelter. If you didn't have to pay for rent – do you think you could live on if you didn't have to pay taxes or rent? Do you think you could live on 50,000 a year? I mean, yes. And so there really is um, absolutely no reason to consider the homeless to be part of the problem of poverty, the poor. And uh, what we're, we're trying to do. Of course, I'm trying to go through the material to uh, help you understand to the best of my ability that uh, poverty and the poor are ill-defined, They're, that if, if you think you're poor, then you've been done a disservice. People have hurt you. And so uh, what we should do now is, is take a little bit of a look at, um, at some of the uh, – hmm, well, some of the realities of what poverty is really like. Should we, should we do that? Um, I'm taking all my information from the Census Bureau uh, because the Census Bureau is, is not me. Uh, it's not you. It's, it's, there's no – I shouldn't say there's no agenda. Anything associated with the government does have an agenda. But its agenda is pro-poverty, right? I think you'll agree. Part of the reason – that is given for high taxation is to take care of those who have less. The whole language of the rich must give their fair share is intended to imply that that way we'll be able to take care of the poor. And the idea is to spread that thinking as widely as possible and to persuade as many people as we possibly can that they are indeed among the ranks of the poor. So going to the Census Bureau and taking a look at its annual report on income and poverty in the United States – Um, It shows round about 30 million Americans living in poverty. Okay. Now, first of all, how do they get that? Well, uh, they decide at the outset that it should be round about 10% of the popular. I'm serious, by the way. Just think about how, how would you do it? How would you determine? And you'll see how difficult it is. Do you do it on income alone? Well, how do you define income? what happens what happens if somebody's got uh savings and he's now living on his savings and he's living very comfortably but he isn't earning anything? Do you call him poor? What do you do about uh, a person who who takes out a reverse mortgage on his home which um, is a a a financial instrument of – that great caution must be exercised with, but uh, there it is. It it exists, and it it has its value for the right people. But what it means is that uh, you get paid out a monthly sum, and when you pass on, uh, the the house gets taken by the bank or the company that made you that loan, and as I say – uh, it's, it's legitimate. It, uh, it, it, it has a function for people in, in the right circumstances. But uh, anyway, caution on that. Point being, so somebody is now, let's imagine somebody has a very nice home, and, um, and he's getting 10000 a month. But there's no, he's not, I mean, you can't say this is income, right? This is off his savings. He paid for that house. That's why he can, by the way, if you owe a whole lot on the house, you can't do it. It's only when, particularly if you own the house free and clear, Late in life, people can then do that. Now you're going to penalize him and you're going to say he's not poor? On what basis? Do you follow the problem here? And so if you're the Census Bureau and you're trying to determine who are the poor in America – it's very hard. So what they kind of do is they say, okay, fine, we're gonna, we need it to be somewhere around 10% to justify the poverty programs that we have in place. Okay, fine. So we're going to work the numbers so that we're going to come up with round about 10% of 300 million people in America. It, you know, it might be – so we're going to end up with 30 million, might be 35 million, 32 million. But somewhere around there are going to be the people we're going to designate below the poverty line. And then you uh, reverse engineer it. You, you sort of back out the numbers. And uh, you, you say, okay, fine. So um, we're going to say the average uh, income or the income needed to support a family of four in America. And you come up with a number and you say, okay, everybody below this figure. And you've got to do a lot of massaging because some people live by themselves. Some people ha- are a couple with no children. But you work out numbers because you know how you want this to come out. And you, bottom line is you end up with, this year, we've got 34 million people living below the poverty line. Okay, fine. Now, uh, we need to take a look at some of those people, okay? And that's what we're going to do next. Looking at the people below the poverty line. I am your rabbi, and don't you forget it, Rabbi Daniel Lappen and uh, my website, youneedarabbi.com. Youneedarabbi.com. 41% of all households below the poverty line, own their own homes. Isn't that something? Uh, Before you heard, look, you may be very knowledgeable, but before I researched this, I I had the picture that if you're below the poverty line, you're living in some disgusting, rat-infested, walk-up apartment building um, in, uh, in some horrible part of town, and and that um, you've got a cruel, vicious landlord who, who squeezes you for rent and uh, gives you nothing in return. Um, no. Um, nearly – it's well over 40%, by the way, uh, going up to half of all households below the poverty line own their own home. The average home owned by somebody below the poverty line in America has three bedrooms, one-and-a-half baths, a garage, and a porch or a patio. <laughs> All right, that's, that, that's pretty significant, right? That's very significant. Uh, the average poor America has 40% more living space than the average Japanese and about similar, also that much more living space than the average Russian. And that's not – let me just clarify, by the way. I'm not saying then the average poor person in Japan or the average poor person in Russia. No, the average poor person in America lives in significantly more living space than the average citizen. And that means average, including everybody in Japan or Russia. What percentage of the, po- the, the people below the poverty line in America own um, a car? What do you think? What percentage of poor people in America own a car? It's actually 70%. How many of the so-called poor own two cars? It's actually 31%. Um, What percentage of poor people in America own more than one um, uh, color TV? I mean, obviously, who doesn't have a color TV today? Um, over 80 percent of people below the poverty line have two or more televisions. Um, as far as one television is concerned, it's 100 percent. There are no people in America uh, who are so poor that they don't have any okay, you know, people who have no home, I guess, don't carry around a color TV. But uh, even the so-called homeless have computers these days, by the way. Um, and uh, and so it goes. If you look at Household appliances, almost everybody owns a microwave. I'm talking about below the poverty line. Um, stereo systems, um, 40% own an automatic dishwasher. What percentage of poor households own air con- uh, have air conditioning? 70%? <laughs> All right. So um, please don't think of the poor in America as being chronically hungry and malnourished. Uh, Now, again, if they spend, you know, there are people who who eat junk food, but that's not because of a shortage of money. Junk food is more expensive than eating healthily. So uh, it's, you know, I, I just think it's important to not buy the propaganda that's out there, to actually look at the facts. And as I say, I don't expect you to believe me at all. Please, please go along and get the up-to-date census figures on income and poverty in America today and uh, read the whole thing carefully. You can also look at the United States um, statistical abstract. There's a lot of very good information there. And, um, and you've just got to be aware that, uh, that th- there is an agenda and, and understand the numbers. But even with the agenda, the numbers are nothing like what we thought you know, so-called life below the poverty line, is really like. Um, so um, that, that being the case, I, I'm just trying to, to validate my contention that the word poor has no definition, in the same way that the word rich has no definition. Numbers have definitions, but a word like rich or a word like poor has absolutely no definition at all. As a matter of fact, let me clarify that the language of poor or rich has no role when you're speaking about human beings. Oh, it has a role when you speak about animals. Sure. Why is that? Well, because it is quite easy. Now, I, I don't know myself how to do it, but I know it's easy to do, to figure out what the need of any animal is. So you've got an elephant in the zoo. Uh, there's no question that uh, zoo um, uh, research and, and z- the level of zoo scholarship is such that zoos today know exactly how to provide for their animals. So what they do is they, they figure out how much does this elephant weigh. How do they figure that out? Come to think of it, an elephant scale? A bathroom scale under each of its legs and total the results? I don't know! But all you need is the weight of an elephant and uh, multiplied by a certain factor, and that'll tell you how much hay the animal is going to need every day. That's all. And uh, how much meat will a lion need? And again, zoos know the answer down to the pound, they know exactly what the lion needs in order to stay healthy. And here's the great thing about most animals, other than goldfish, they don't eat more than they need. Animals do not have an obesity problem, and that's because they do not have souls. We have souls that pull us towards the infinite. I know, I know this sounds as if I'm trivializing uh, eating problems, and it, it, even worse, it sounds as if I'm saying that it's good to overeat and become obese because this shows that you're spiritual, you have a soul. Not exactly, nothing like that. But uh, but animals not pulled towards the infinite eat as much as their bodies need. We have a lot of trouble determining what our bodies need because we eat as much for our soul as we do for our body. That's why, as you know, uh, people who are unhappy tend to, to eat more than people who are not. People who feel um, spiritual unease and deep Deep uh, senses of dissatisfaction and unhappiness tend to overeat. Uh, the other extreme is they don't eat anything at all. But uh, but eating the right amount, being very tuned into your body, is, is something that's easier for animals than it is for people. I hope um, I, I hope that makes sense. Okay, so uh, that being the case, the uh, the, um, the 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 word "poor" for an animal makes a lot of sense. So in other words, if an elephant needs 75 pounds of hay a day, but all we're doing is giving him 30, he's a poor elephant. He's getting less than he needs. A lion who's supposed to have, uh, I don't know, 30 pounds of meat a day, and we give him five, that's going to mean the the lion is a poor lion. And so it is with every other creature on the planet except human beings. You know why? Because... We all are unique. We each are unique. We are each created in the image of God. And just as God is unique, so are we. That's one of the fundamental meanings of the word created in God's image. And that means you do not know what my hopes and dreams and aspirations are as I don't know what yours are. And you don't know what's important to me as I don't know what's important to you. And so if um, the government has decided that equality is the most important thing and it gives us each... $6,000 $6,000 a month, as uh, the government programs for the so-called poor in many cities in the country do. Uh, you know, so you get $6,000 a month, and I get $6,000 a month. For one of us, it might be perfectly adequate. For the other, not. It depends what you like to eat depends how you like to live. Maybe uh, maybe you want to send your children to a private school. Maybe you don't want to send your your children to a GIC. A GIC? Come on, you've been listening to the show long enough already to know what a GIC is. G-I-C, you don't know? Come on. Okay, fine, I'll tell it to you again. A government indoctrination center. Uh, some people used to call them public schools in the good old days. But... Uh, Today, of course, they go more accurately under the sobriquet, a gig. And uh, some people are perfectly happy sending their children to gigs. Other people prefer to send their children to parochial schools. But parochial school you have to pay, so that's going to eat into the money. Some people like to eat out at restaurants. Some people like to eat at home. Again, major difference in expenditure. Um, The priorities we have, right, some people are, are willing to live under... Um, poorer conditions as long as they can sock away substantial savings amounts and that's that's great other people say no I'm uplifted by, by living in, in a house with nice carpets and paintings on the wall and nice furniture I feel better and it lets me be more creative and more productive somebody else says I don't care I feel more creative and more productive knowing my savings account is growing every day human beings are different and so, therefore, it is not possible to know what poor means for a human being. Other, as I said earlier on, other than, of course, uh, somebody who doesn't know where his uh, food for the day is coming from. When he gets up in the morning, he doesn't know where he's going to sleep that night. That's nobody in America. Because if you are on the streets, you have no business being on the streets. All you've got to do is pick up your government money. All you've got to do is go to the government shelter, and you can live, frankly, better than a king lived in the 17th century. You'll do just a European king in the 17th century, didn't live nearly as well as you'll live if you simply get off the street and go to a shelter, collect your money. Um, by the way, uh, the reason that it's not quite as simple as that is, as you all well know, uh, the, um, the percentage of poor who are um, uh, severely under the influence of either – Uh, psychotropic drugs or alcohol is very, very high. The number of uh, people who are mentally disturbed on the streets, very, very high. And part of that had to do with a a move to uh, release mentally disturbed people onto the streets. Again, this was part of the um, liberation period in the 70s and 80s where it was considered to be – uh, imposing on an individual's autonomy to keep him in a mental facility, even for his own good, and indeed, um, again, there was this massive and dramatic increase in homeless, literally following directly on the heels of the um, of the changes in the country that made it uh, impossible to keep people in mental institutions. So, anyways, that um, so when I say there are no poor people in America, as 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 I. Do Now, I'm not going to proclaim that loudly because I know how politically incorrect it is. I know how um, every time I say this in a speech or at at an event, it finds its way onto the Internet, and I get, oh my goodness, do I get uh, flamed? Do I get uh, attacked? People replay the little segment again and again, and they send it around in shock to their friends. This evil Jewish rabbi says there are no poor people in America. All right, well, I'll just whisper it softly so I don't get into too much trouble. And uh, there it is. Yes, indeed. Um, It is very, very difficult, if not impossible, to specify what poor is. So if I say there are no poor people in America, uh, it's because how on earth would you go about identifying who's poor and who isn't? Uh, There are a whole lot of people who live awfully well who could easily sneak onto the lists of poor there are a whole lot of people who struggle terribly but would never dream of, uh, the, uh, of denying themselves the dignity of independence by calling themselves poor. And so it's a meaningless statement. And so when I say there are no poor people in America, that's – Absolutely true. But that's not all of it. There's a whole lot more. But I must stop to give you time to visit my website at youneedarabbi.com. Please make sure you are receiving my weekly email, Thought Tools. Uh, That's primarily how I stay in touch with you and how you stay in touch with me. Um, It's one of the ways you know where I am, although there is a page on my website that tells where I'm appearing next. And when uh, that happens to be in your city and it's an open event I would love to see you. So uh, make sure you receive Thought Tools. Go to my website to do it. And make sure you go to my store. Um, Purchasing something from my store helps you and it helps me. I'd recommend you take a look at the income abundance set because we're only uh, at the time of the year now where there is still time to change your financial figures for this year substantially. Uh, transforming financial destiny is what ancient jewish wisdom is all about and the set called the income abundance set is a wonderful way to do it so head over to rabbi daniel com, rabbi daniel com and uh, simply go ahead and uh, move to navigate to the store section of the website moving on with the discussion on on poverty which uh, always runs the risk of sounding uh, heartless cruel, lacking in compassion, and that's precisely why it is that uh, Leviticus chapter 19 tells us that um, uh, you shall not commit a distortion of justice by favoring the poor, and that is because we all have the picture in our minds of the rich getting away with everything and... Uh, look, um, unfortunately, we do have a justice system now where it does appear as if the level of justice you get depends on the quality of the lawyers you can hire. I mean, does anybody think that O.J. Simpson, had he been a, uh, a poor white guy, would have got off that um, that that murder charge? Of course not. Uh, celebrityhood... Um, there is a, also a, a reverse process at work today, which is that uh, in conventionally, we are worried, conventionally, we worry about the poor not getting a fair shake. The problem now is that we're living in a culture that has gone so far out of balance that it's the successful, the hardworking, the affluent, the taxpayers who are not getting the fair shake. And foreseeing this, Scripture in Leviticus 19 says don't favor the poor, knowing full well that as a society moves into a a declining mode, as a society becomes more degenerate, and as a society slides down the slippery slope of secularism, down the slippery slope of socialism, the tendency will be to favor the poor. Because a government of that kind of society wants to discourage the successful, the affluent, the independent, the taxpaying. You know why? Because they are independent. One of the best ways to be independent of government tyranny is a bank account. One of the best ways to be invulnerable to government grabs for power is having a few dollars. Broke people are ripe for takeover. Broke people seize any life raft thrown to them, regardless of the strings attached to it. And so broke people tend to grab onto government, and government loves having lots of broke people around because it validates the existence of government It validates the high salaries and the lifetime benefits and the perks that uh, government employees constantly vote themselves out of the public purse. It's the funniest thing to hear people in politics and working in government to talk about being in public service. (laughs) No, they're not. Public service, you, you know, some of you may even know people, you may have relatives in public service. Public service is when you care For other people, maybe you work in a uh, a mission, uh, maybe you work in a ministry, maybe you're a volunteer here, there, or somewhere else, you're in public service. But for a government employee to say he's in public service is self-serving and sanctimonious. And so uh, looking at the, the poor, uh, I think we, we have to understand that when the government says, well, they, they, they have limited income. Yes, they do have limited income. Do you have any idea of how many different explanations there are for people of limited income? Uh, do you know how many hundreds of thousands of students there are in America who only work part-time but are supported by student loans, parents, savings, inheritance? Right? Are they the poor? I don't think so. Uh, How about all the immigrants? Do you know how many millions of immigrants there are who only work part of the year in order to not be measured? Um, Do you know how many people choose to work in occupations that don't pay much? Many people believe that uh, they are destined to be artists, and then they don't make much, and then they become embittered towards society for not recognizing their artistic genius. How sad is that? Uh, How about struggling entrepreneurs? God bless them. They're making no money at all, but they are living off loans or savings or shareholders. Yes, tax evaders who only disclose a portion of income, tax avoiders who legitimately and aggressively write off capital losses or depreciation against equipment or real estate, Uh, families where one person works legitimately part-time or seasonably while others uh, are in some sort of business like construction where cash payments are rampant and commonplace. I mean, it's, it's absurd. And yet we've, gener- we've created this entire, not only a poverty industry, but the entire culture where people are eager to self-define as poor. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And it's a terrible thing, my friends, because when you self-define as poor and accept that you are poor, you are condemning yourself to be there forever. Um, I always think of the uh, scene in Walt Disney's Aladdin where uh, the, um, <clears throat> the 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 young boy who is destined to marry the princess uh, steals some bread and he sits to, down to eat it with his monkey. And if I remember correctly, there's a, a sort of little orphan boy and girl with big brown eyes who are obviously famished and they sit there gazing at him hungrily. And... Um, and he basically wants to say to them, look, you know, if you're hungry, go steal your own beer, bread. And, uh, and he shows there and then that his soul is not that of a poor person. His soul is that of a prince because he gives them bread. A poor person, somebody who saw himself as poor, would say, go away. I need, I'm, I'm poor. I don't have anything for you. And that's indeed what we encourage the so-called poor in America to do. We don't let them pay taxes. What a terrible thing. In a scriptural system, even people who live on charity have to give charity. I'm not equating charity with taxation, by the way, by any stretch of the imagination. There's another problem. And the other problem is that um, photographs are not as good as videos for depicting reality. Think about that. Photographs are not as good as videos for depicting reality. This is one of the reasons that mathematics, as a tool for observing and measuring reality and enabling us to derive metrics that would allow us to improve reality, um, languished until, until Newton and Leibniz independently came up with the calculus which allowed you to put down, if you like, a moving picture on a page of paper. It's extraordinary, extraordinary concept. But it was because they realized that a snapshot doesn't depict reality. Let me, uh, let me give you an example. If I show you two snapshots, each one seem – they both seem similar. They both contain a picture of what appears to be a happy, smiling couple. However – it so happens that the picture in my left hand is a picture of a couple, each of whom is married to somebody else, and this couple is stealing a, uh, an afternoon of illegitimate bliss in a local motel. The other photograph is a photograph of a couple that have been married for 25 years, devoted lovingly to one another and to their family and looking forward to many years of being together. To the snapshot viewer, these two photographs are identical. Each one depicts a happy, smiling couple. But there is no way that you would know that which a video would disclose. A video would show that the couple in my left hand are headed for embarrassment, humiliation, and disaster. As their spouses find out about their disloyalty, the affair becomes uh, apparent. Uh, The uh, divorces, each one becomes divorced. Uh, The man loses his job, which very often happens as uh, divorces uh, take so much energy and distraction Uh, And all in all, a disaster strikes those two people. The couple in my right hand, the video would show tranquil, harmonious, and happy living onwards. A video depicts reality. Photographs don't. The trouble is that um, the United States government, as well as the Census Department, are fond of snapshots because it allows them to apply whatever narrative they wish to the snapshot. So in other words, that would be like me showing you the couple in my left hand and say, "Oh, this happy couple is having a wonderful time and I don't have to tell you what lies ahead. Oh, they're having a passionate, exciting, beautiful afternoon." Whereas the couple in my right hand, "Oh, they're just shopping." Now, which would you rather be? And they don't show what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day and next week. And so similarly, it is a very big mistake to think that poverty is a status it's a condition that may be true for animals but it isn't true for people i don't know about you but i would hate for you to judge me on who i was 10 or 20 or 30 years ago i try to be a little bit better and in some areas i've succeeded in others perhaps not but i've grown i i know more than i knew 20 years ago i'm more knowledgeable i'm more experienced uh, I may even be more compassionate, although I agree that listening to this podcast, some of you might doubt the la- the last uh, claim. But uh, there we are, doing our best. You see, I'll tell you a story. It was a company that um, uh, I was doing some consulting for, a forklift company uh, in um, in San Diego. I'm sorry, not a, the story's about forklifts. Not it wasn't a forklift company. It was. A, beverage company as it happens. But uh, I went there and um, I was doing some consulting and uh, some sales seminars for the company. And while I was walking around, I noticed uh, a guy working on a forklift truck. Now, he use a lot of forklift trucks there. And I, uh, I went to him and I asked him what his name was. His name was Miguel. And uh, what is he doing? He's repairing the forklift truck. I won't comment for the moment on whether he was a legal or an illegal immigrant, because that's not uh, relevant to this particular conversation. And um, the um, uh, the the repair he was doing was was really, from what I could see, was was very ingenious. Um, the, this forklift truck was running on on propane fuel, and um, and. Uh, as opposed to gasoline because it works in in internal uh, inside areas and they don't want carbon monoxide flowing out of the the exhaust pipe anyways. uh, He's doing an ingenious repair. I'm talking to him, and I say, you know, so what are you doing? He says, well, the company that services the forklift trucks – uh, was taken over by another company, and they uh, raised prices. And he says, I, uh, I saw my boss worrying about how he was going to uh, maintain our fleet of forklift trucks in, uh, in within budget. And uh, I said to him, you know, why didn't you let me do it? I told my boss, I can repair it for you. He said, what do you know about forklift trucks? And he said, look, uh, I'm from Mexico where we learned. He said, I grew up poor. And uh, we made cars last forever. We, I, he said, I can fix anything mechanical. I can fix. And he says, so my boss said, well, take that one there that's not been working for a, a period of time. See if you can do anything with it. And he looked up at me proudly, uh, Miguel did, and he says, uh, uh, sir, I got it working again in one day. And then he pointed across the, the yard at, a, at somebody who was racing a forklift truck across a corner of the yard. He says, that's it. It's still running. Uh, so I said, that's amazing. What were you doing before then? He said, before then? He said, I, I, I was used wherever I was needed. People would send me to the m- vending machine to get a Coca-Cola. They'd send me uh, to, to take tools to people. He said, but now all I'm doing is maintaining the equipment. Uh, I said, so uh, when you started here, uh, how much did you get paid? And I don't remember the exact figure. It was probably minimum wage. It was something down there. And I said, uh, and uh, and now you're still being paid the same. He looked at me as if I was a, an imbecile, and he said, no, I'm making $25 an hour now, and I'm getting a raise. So I said, I don't understand. If they had you working for them for minimum wage or, you know, whatever he told me, $9 or whatever, $9 an hour, uh, why did they pay you to change it to $25 an hour? I don't understand because – you were working, obviously you were okay with $9, so why did they pay you more? Well, now he was utterly persuaded that there was something defective with me, and he started speaking slowly the way you do when you're, when you're trying to get things across to somebody who's not getting it. And he said, look, you see, uh, if they paid me the same as I could get in any other place uh, down the road, I, I would leave. I would go somewhere where I could get a little bit more. Uh, he said, they don't want me to leave because I'm doing very valuable work for them now. And I smiled, and uh, I said, That's, that is terrific. I'm, 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 I'm very, very excited, and I, I understand what's going on. Six months later, I was back for a follow-up program uh, with the sales team, and um, I ended up um, uh, with a few minutes to spare. I went to uh, HR, and I said, uh, is uh, Miguel Rodriguez still here? And uh, they looked through the, the computer, and she said, Yeah, yeah, he, he is. He's in over She told me where to find him. I went across to find him. I said, Ah, you won't remember? He said, I remember you. Yes, you were to, we were talking a few months ago. I said, Yeah. I said, How's it going? Well, he said, This is my office now. And I said, Are you still making $25 now? He says, No, I'm not an hourly employee now. He said, I, I get a, um, a full time salary, I'm a permanent employee. Um, And I said, any other good news? He says, yes. Uh, He said, my wife doesn't work anymore. My wife is home with the the children now, which is what I always wanted. And I'm very grateful to be here in America. Anyway, this is a guy who uh, a year earlier would have been designated as poor. Six months ago, when I last saw him, he would have been designated as poor. No question. He would have definitely been below the poverty line. And now... If you don't mind, he's middle class. He'd laugh at the notion that he's poor. He's hopeful. He's ambitious. He's climbing. Do you follow what I'm saying? If you take a snapshot, there are all kinds of people. I mean, think of a, uh, a resident. I know a, uh, a resident who works in a hospital. He shares an apartment with four other guys. It's very crowded. Uh, His living space is probably less than what people have in Japan or Russia. Uh, He doesn't get pay. He works heavy, heavy hours, so much so that if you worked out his pay on a per hour basis, it's ridiculous, very, very low. And the video would show that next year, when he's finished his residency and he's a specialist, he's going to be making $350,000 a year. Yes. But now he's poor and the government nonetheless would have us tax a hard working farmer in montana whose family is now going to have to go without things in order to send money to this particular individual why he's doing you know he, let this guy borrow let him borrow which is what student loans are and he'll pay back in the, in the years ahead out of a very high salary but there's no reason for a poverty industry to count him among its poor, and yet they do. And so that's another reason that um, when I say there are no poor people in America, uh, neither of the people I've, tell, I've just told you about are correctly classified as poor, and yet they were by the government. It's, uh, it's, it's a bad situation. And the worst thing of all is that people who are persuaded that they are in fact poor tend to remain that way because you have the stuffing knocked out of you. When when people who are knowledgeable, when the government, and after all, the government is trustworthy, if the government tells me I'm poor, then that defines me. A free human being doesn't define himself by his bank account. It's, that's a dynamic thing. It's it's. It's, it's changeable, and it's not who he really is as a human being. It's a terrible thing. You know, liberalism detests the notion of defining people by gender. And so they insist that gender isn't binary. It's not male or female. There's a whole big scale. You need three-quarters of an alphabet in order to identify it all. And... Um, And and it just – it makes absolutely no sense because liberalism and secularism tend to manipulate in order to achieve the ends they want. For instance, I'm sure you've heard even President Obama quoted a little while ago – he quoted um, uh, 97% of scientists believe that global warming is the result of human industrial activity – that's not true. That's an absolutely false statistic. And when I do a show on environmentalism, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, it's absolutely false. That is not true. It is not true that 97% of scientists, or even 97% of climate science is simply not true. However, 97% of doctors and scientists will tell you that if a human being has a penis and XY chromosomes, uh, that that's a male. And yet, in spite of the fact that 97% of scientists would say that, everybody insists on calling a a certain uh, prominent and highly visible former athlete by his female name. Excuse me? Is Is this a total departure from reality? Is this an abandonment of all sanity? We first of all say, oh, we must trust uh, 97% of scientists who say that the the climate is a pro, okay, fine. But 97% of scientists would say that this particular individual is a man. He has a penis. He has XY chromosomes. It's pretty clear what he is. And yet to call him by his name is a gross violation of his rights because he's redefined himself as a female. Therefore, he wants to go by his female name. What sort of world is mad? Complete madness. No, not at all. It's totally and completely logical if you look at the world through secular eyes. Secular liberalism produces its own system of logic. Why wouldn't it? And within a secular liberal system of logic, that makes perfect sense. And so within a secular liberal system of logic, um, yes, we, we do want to designate People is poor, and we want to suggest that it's a permanent condition. You're poor, there's no hope for you. You are poor, your children will be poor, your grandchildren will be poor, and it's always going to be that way. Um, You know, no lesser an authority than a great economist called Walter Williams um, made the point, oh, a few years ago, four or five years ago maybe, um, that – If you start off in life poor, it's not your fault. But if you stay poor, it is your fault. And it's such an important point. That's why I said at the beginning that today's financial problems are the result of yesterday's bad decisions. Painful, right? Because it evokes one of the most truly hurtful human emotions, and that's regret. Regret is what we feel when something has passed. The opportunity is over. You see, we like the phrase, it's never too late, but it's a lie. And uh, it's not what we should teach our children. It's frequently too late. And the trick is learning things in advance, understanding how the world, yes, really works, so as that your children do not ever have to regret something because it is too late. But uh, people, and, and we've, all, we've all been there. We've all gone through it. You're suffering financial pressure and financial stress that keeps you awake at night and, and has you grinding your teeth and find, finding it difficult to relax. Um, it is very painful to be told it's your fault. It's your fault you did that. You did it. That's right. It's your fault. It's bad decisions you made in the past that have brought you to this state of stress. And so uh, Walter Williams, the uh, brilliant – and I'm going to say something here which is really regrettable that I have to say it. I am going to say it. I wish I wouldn't have to because it's completely meaningless. But because of the culture in which we live today, I have to say it. Walter Williams, the outstanding and famous black economist – what do I have to mention his skin color for? Even Martin Luther King wouldn't have wanted to hear that. Uh, but, I, but I have to anyways, because um, what I'm going to tell you about what he said, it's inevitably going to make you say, and and it makes almost anybody listen to it and say, well, if he was black, he'd know that it's not so simple. And um, he, he talks about... Um, um A study on black millionaires and um, did thousands of interviews and a, a massive study of america 's black financial elite um, there are many multimillionaires and um uh, what what he saw is that the uh, that many 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 of them started off poor started off terrible and what he did is he said look uh m- Achieving wealth is, is not anything to do with circumstance or luck or environment or the cards you are dealt. Wealth is the result of a conscious choice, an action. It's the result of faith. It's the result of innovation. It's the result of effort. It's the result of preparation. That's called education. And discipline. America, look, there's no question about it. America does have an underclass. But what characterizes them is not race or color or anything at all. What characterizes the underclass is terrible, terrible life decisions. Right? You know that. Um, And um, uh, he he talks of uh, Clement Stone, who's a uh, – I don't think he's alive anymore, but he was the founder of Combined Insurance. Fascinating life story, by the way. Absolutely fascinating. I once spoke about it extensively. And, um, he you know, he, uh, Clement Stone said uh, the, his motto is try, 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 and keep on trying. That is the rule that must be followed to become an expert in anything. Uh, he also said that if you cannot save money, the seeds of greatness are simply not in you. Saving is necessary for investment and wealth accumula- accumulation. And Walter Williams says, and therein lies much of the problem for many black Americans. And... Um, and, again, I don't, I don't know necessarily those particular statistics, but I do know that the ability to save is a spiritual quality. Right? It's not a racial quality. It's not a biological quality. It's not a gender quality. The ability to not indulge yourself and uh, run out and buy whatever you, you want, the ability to save and defer gratification, that is a spiritual quality. And uh, those that possess it can make their way towards wealth. Those that don't are doomed to failure. So it would appear that uh, instead of doling out money, wouldn't the government, if it really cared about ending poverty, which it doesn't, but if it really did, wouldn't it focus on how to help people overcome their inbuilt tendencies to seek gratification? It is Rabbi Daniel Appen. Humbly trying to more effectively serve as your rabbi, your guide to ancient Jewish wisdom. Okay, enough of the self-promotion, and uh, let's dive right back into the topic. Look, um, I've explained uh, many times before, I don't know, I don't recall if it's on the show, I'd have to go back and check my notes, but uh, certainly in, in lectures and, uh, and um, on radio and elsewhere, that it's a very big mistake to view poverty as a color problem in America. It's a very big mistake. Uh, the, the, the true nature of poverty is that it is a problem of single males. So much so, by the way, that on average, single black women do much better than single black males. Much better. Excuse me, single white males. Excuse me. Uh, that th- there's no news in what I just said. Let me, let me correct that again. Uh, financially, single black women totally out-earn single white men. You hear it? Singleness is a massive problem, particularly for men. And so I've often said that uh, uh, when uh, parents sometimes say to me, you know, my child's finishing high school, is there any advice you've got for me to uh, make sure that he steps onto the financial escalator and he doesn't end up poor, the answer is yes, it is. Here are the things he has to do. Number one, get a job. Number two, keep the job. Number three, train himself to deliver more than he's asked for. Number four, get married. Number five, stay married. That's it. That's it. Those five things guarantee you never being poor. That's right. Because uh, married people dramatically out-earn single people. By the way, there are obvious outliers, uh, right? You've got, uh, you know, you had Bill Gates who'd made a lot of money before he ever got married. He's made a whole lot more since he's got married. But uh, I think Paul Allen, the uh, second shareholder in Microsoft, never got married and made a lot of money. So, yes, you do have outliers. But generally speaking, if you're built like a, uh, a football player, uh, a linebacker, please don't think you'll succeed at ballet, even if you know somebody who did, right? It just, you know, if you, if you like smoking, yes, I know George Burns lived to be 100 years old or nearly 100 years old, um, smoking two cigars a day. That's probably not a really good model to follow. There are always outliers, but in general, you have to know that um, being a single male puts you at great risk for poverty. Now, uh, why is it that um, uh, that poverty is so widespread in the African among African Americans in America? Well, it's very simple. It's because the government has destroyed marriage. You all know that marriage statistics were far far better for blacks in the 1960s even before civil rights. then, And by the way, do I need to issue a caveat that I'm not saying civil rights was a mistake? <laughs> but uh, uh, these days you've got to sort of cover everything lest anybody jumps to wrong conclusions. But uh, the, uh, the truth is that the number of children in the, among blacks born into single motherhood is much, much, much higher than it was in 1960, nearly double. No, I'm sorry, it's more than double now, more than double. Um, It's amazing. And, by the way, you want to signpost to poverty? Get born to a single mom. Be a boy who got born to a single mother, and um, I'm not holding out much hope. Sorry. Yeah, You're probably headed for welfare. Uh, What happened is that uh, government policies essentially discouraged marriage dramatically. Uh, How is that? Well, look, uh, one would have to be a very short-sighted or a, a recent immigrant from planet unreal uh, to not know that finances do play a role in marriage. And it's one of the reasons. And again, I know there are exceptions, and, um, and I love hearing from you, but you don't have to write in to tell me you know somebody for whom this isn't true. There's not a lot of them, I'll tell you that. But in general uh, marriages where the, uh, wife dramatically out-earns the husband, uh, are, are not long for this world. Uh, I'm not talking about temporary situations where the husband is getting a degree or he's, he's, uh, studying or, or, something and the wife supports the couple till he graduates. It, that, that works just fine. But, um, situations where, uh, hubby is the, um, the, hu- uh, these, these situations do not do really well. And so, uh, by uh, essentially uh, devoting considerable resources of taxpayer money to be given to women who are single not married and who have children uh, essentially we successfully destroyed family in the welfare among welfare recipients basically you know people know where their bread is buttered people aren't stupid and uh, they made more money they got more money Uh, from their fellow citizens if uh, they were if women were not married than if they were married so obviously uh, that meant an awful lot of males without uh, without wives single males uh, do not do well they do very very poorly so um um that's why i say you want to you know you want to you know you want to know the road to wealth get married and stay married so um uh the interesting book, by the way, that I, I, I'm not recommending you read it. Basically, I'm, I'm telling you pretty much everything in the book. It's its fine. If you want to read it, you won't be wasting your time. But uh, but it's, it's, I'm very, very meticulous and diligent about books that I recommend. Uh, but this one is an interesting book for me, and it was called The Wealth Choice, Success Secrets of Black Millionaires. And uh, uh, what he does is – first of all, it's got loads of statistics, which I always like because I like to be able to quote accurately – and, um, and he highlights the problem, and he's talking particularly about African-Americans. He says the, uh, the median net worth of white households is 20 times higher than black households. Do you hear that? Is this de facto evidence of racism in America? Think carefully. Do you really think so? Because the author does not. Um, 35% of black households have zero net worth or are in debt, meaning negative net worth. Uh, 24%, a quarter of black Americans spend more than they earn. What is the comparable figure for whites? No, I'm sorry, for all Americans. The comparable figure for all Americans is 14%. So it goes from 14% to 24%. Now, let me ask you, spending more than you earn, is that a racial problem? Is that because of the color of your skin? Is it because of your gender? Is it because you don't have any hair? Or is it because your teeth are green? My friends, we're highlighting the significance of the spiritual in wealth creation. And if if you have any aspirations in this area, if you feel you can and should be doing better than you are economically, please, right after the show, go to my website, You need a rabbi.com or rabbidaniellappin.com and go to the store and buy yourself an income abundance set. It's made up of CDs of stuff you need to review and it's made up of books and uh, embark on the program. There's still time to change the figures you're going to report as earning for this year. Uh, You've got to understand this. Uh, Listen to uh, Kimbrough continuing. And, and, and there's, 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 there's lessons in this for each and every one of us, regardless of what color God made our skin. 24% of black Americans spend more than they earn, compared to 14% of all Americans. 32% of blacks do not save anything at all, compared to less than 25% of all Americans. Do you hear that? It's scary. of blacks save, but 75% of other Americans do. Um, Do you know Black Enterprise magazine? Also, by the way, very interesting, very interesting magazine. Um, Black Enterprise magazine is uh, run by a guy called Earl Graves. And um, listen to it. He said blacks are six times more likely than whites to buy a Mercedes-Benz wow statistically blacks are six times more likely than whites to purchase a Mercedes Benz and he also said blacks who purchase Jaguars have an income one third less than whites who purchase the same vehicles okay you, you do yourself a disservice by saying oh it's cultural differences no no these are spiritual differences and they cause poverty And so, um, black econo- yeah black economist Walter Williams uh, highlighted um, Kimbrough's book, *The Wealth Choice*, and, um, and and that's what I've been I've been quoting from um, *Success Secrets of Black Millionaires*. And um, and he in it he um, oh by the way I also wanted to quote John Harold Johnson, uh, who also black guy climbed from abject poverty and racial discrimination. Uh, built a big publishing empire, and and here's what he said, and he's absolutely right, according to ancient Jewish wisdom. If you want to know how people feel about themselves, look at their bank account. And it's not that a high bank account makes you feel good about yourself. It's feeling good about yourself raises your bank account, not in terms of self-esteem and empty, meaningless self-promotion. No, achievement. Says Johnson, wealth is much less a matter of circumstance than it is a matter of choice. And this book, The Wealth Choice, actually then suggests the disciplines that can be only uh, – that, that can be the ones that re- that are the ones that produce wealth. Be passionate. Focus on unique strengths. Develop clear, delineated goals. Develop a strong work ethic. Starts with getting a job. But you can't get a job if you don't have a work ethic. Um, what happens is the person interviewing sees a sullenness in your face – a reluctance to really want to commit yourself to the job. These things are visible. And, uh, and um, Kimber says, recognize the power of ideas. Never consider the possibility of failure. Be thrifty and frugal. Uh, learn to come early and stay late. Um, that, that's a part of it, friends. Uh, to, to designate somebody as poor is cruel That is truly lacking in compassion, Um, making people feel that they are the poor and thereby condemning themselves to to remain in that unfortunate situation, terrible. And just because we don't recognize the comparative nature of poverty, in other words, uh, people you would think of as very rich, I promise you, I guarantee you that they look over one shoulder – And they see a whole lot of other people richer than them alongside whom they feel poor. You follow? It's always like that. Rich and poor are not absolute terms. They are only comparative terms. And that's why the poor is a nonsensical, meaningless meaningless term. And that's why I say there's no poor in America. Rich and poor are only comparative. I am poorer than him. I am richer than him. And that brings us to Deuteronomy 15. You remember in Deuteronomy 15, as I told you at the beginning today, the, uh, it says there will always be poor among us. Well, how how can the Bible say there will always be poor if Rabbi Daniel Lappin says there's no such thing as poor? And the answer is it's always only relative. In other words, to say you are poor, you're not allowed to do that. But what you are allowed to do is look over one of your shoulders. And you'll see, if you look over one shoulder, you'll see plenty of people who have much more than you. They are richer than you. Yes, that's fine, because you don't mind inequality as long as you have freedom. But then you look over your other shoulder, and there you'll see people who have a lot less than you. Now, they mustn't think of themselves as poor. They should be looking over their right shoulder and seeing other people poorer than them. But your obligation to help is to help people who have less than you. Not people who fall beneath some magical, illusory, imaginary, government demarcated line that doesn't really exist. No. You have to give to people who have less than you. That's all. That's all it means. And so uh, the Bible is giving us an assurance that you will never lack for somebody to give charity to. There will always be somebody to give charity to. But on the other hand, nobody is to think of themselves as poor. That is unacceptable because when you think of yourself as poor, then you're turning it into an objective reality, which is complete and utter nonsense. And so, my friends, I hope at least on some level I have um, helped you think about this question about uh, poverty and poor. Uh, and, and that I can, with some legitimacy, stick to the title that uh, we're, in, we're entitling this podcast. There are indeed no poor people in America. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to go to the website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, check out the, the store. And uh, also, I will ask you to uh, shoot me an email and subscribe to Thought Tool. Now, I think something that you ought to do is, um, because you are all technologically astute and highly developed in all areas digital, I think you should stop in at the Kindle store. Now, you know you can download a Kindle book uh, to your phone or to your PC or your computer or your tablet or your iPad, or whatever it is you're using, uh, you don't actually have to have a dedicated Kindle device <clears throat> in order to read books on Kindle. Um, you can download a Kindle, and you can actually download the software that converts any of your devices into an ebook book reader. Uh, but, of course, I'm telling you things that you already know. At any rate, what I think you should do Is go to Amazon and look for one of the books that Susan and I've created. It's called Buried Treasure. That's right, Buried Treasure. And uh, the subtitle is Secrets for Living from the Lord's Language. And you. Can go ahead and download that. By the way, you can also just go to our website if you like, RabbiDanielLappin.com, and go to the store section and then look for "Buried Treasure Among the Books," and you can do it that way. But my point is that uh, this is a book which uh, Susan and I prepared. It's got a lovely uh, forward message from Pastor John Hagee, and um, it's insights into how the Lord's language has shaped the way Jewish people think and the way that anybody can adjust their attitudes for more successful living. It's divided up into several parts. For instance, part one is relationships and marriage. Part two is family and children. Part three is community and work. Part four is growth and success. Part five is ideas. And part six is spiritual life. And some of the the chapter headings are adding to our wealth, the road to happiness, the sinister snooze button on your alarm clock, uh, the source of spiritual energy. Overcoming Limitations, Love's Enduring Foundation, Give Until It Stops Hurting, uh, Nature or Nurture, Twice as Many Sisters, The Kindness Dilemma, and so on and so forth. It goes uh, for 29 different chapters divided up into six aspects of living. Uh, I think you're going to find that to be very, very worthwhile in terms of something that enhances your life. If you've been a regular listener to the Rabbi Daniel Appin Show for any period of time at all, then you already know that I am convinced that we are spiritual entities in a body, not a body containing a spiritual entity called a soul. In other words, if you want to change your life You actually have to start off on the spiritual side. You've got to change how you spiritually relate to the world, how you spiritually relate to your body, how you spiritually relate to money, how you spiritually relate to family and friends and business associates and other people in your life. And when you've got the hang of that, when you've made those spiritual adjustments, or frankly, even once you've even begun to undertake the task of those spiritual adjustments, uh, you find that transitioning into substantial changes on the material and physical side of life uh, is just a natural thing. You slide right into it. All of that covered in our book, Buried Treasure, Secrets for Living, from the Lord's language, uh, and what I'm recommending is you download it. Yes, you could get it in a uh, in a regular hardcover book at rabbi Lappen.com at the store there at our website, but you could also download it as an ebook right now, and it's really really handy. So go along and explore buried treasure. Uh, Secrets for Living from the Lord's Language by Rabbi Daniel Lappin and Susan Lappin, with a foreword by Pastor John Hagee, Buried Treasure. Try it. You'll love it. That means we are at the end of the show for this week. So thank you very much for being part of the show. And uh, let me again thank you, as as I should do every single time, for the uh, help you have given me in promoting the show. What I mean by that is every time you send a link to somebody else, every time you encourage somebody to listen to the show, uh, we expand our listenership. And that is good in every possible way. Your friends and associates will thank you for the uh, recommendation. And I most sincerely thank you for helping to expand the listenership of this podcast. That's it for now, friends. so for the coming week, I want to wish you a week of good times with your friends, with your faith, with your finance, and with your family. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.